WFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book Javelin's Bistro, and I'm your host for the day. I am Javelin Richards, KPFA, and today in the studio with me, I have Daphne Dorman with me, and I also have on the phone Roberta Morris, and we're going to talk about the Harvest of Festivals and the show that they're both in as actresses, which is tomorrow night. Tomorrow night the, is the Harvest of Mysteries. Look at Egyptian uh, and Greek mythology. And it's seven years in the running. It's been very successful. And this is a script reading of the of the play that I wrote. And it's called Isis, are set in some ways that people pronounce as probably back in the day when the um, mythologies were occurring. And what that theme that I took, the the story behind it is that the uh, goddess Aset was married to Osiris. And they were side by side with one another in the work that they did. And his brother was jealous of him and and tried to kill him the first time. The second time he tried to kill him, he was not successful. The second time he tried to kill him, he cut up his body and threw it in, scattered all over the place. And his she finally went to find him. His penis was found in, was not found actually. When I thought about that mythology, I thought about what is going on and has been going on for black people and the the murders and the dissembling of bodies, particularly during the lynching period, where they would cut off their toes, their penises, etc. Now, this may be a bit extreme right now. You probably was having a cup of tea, coffee, etc., <laughs> but let's keep it real. It's, it's, it's not as scary as you think. That's just the background story. What I chose to do is to bring it to 1930-something in the South and inside of a jute joint that's ran by Tootsie, who plays the part of our set, and Willie T., who plays the part of her husband, Cyrus, or Cyrus. So let me say, I pray that I get that right. Uh, yes. And so these are two of the characters that are going to be doing a reading tomorrow. So first of all, let me give you a little background. Uh, Daphne was born in Philadelphia. She's a native there. And her career began with a 12-year journey as a stage and TV actress, including a two-year stint on QVC, where she represented the Memorex line of consumer electronics. She's just gotten back to the Bay Area. There's so much more to her life that I'm not going to get into because it gets very complicated. It's like one of those journeys that I was reading her about and I thought, what the heck? But she's back here uh, where she took a role as a director of information technology and now she most certainly is dealing with herself as an actress. On the f- and she's in studio with me and on the phone is Roberta. Roberta spent much of her adult, adult life involved mostly with patent law and not enough with acne. She's been, fixa- she's been fixing that recently performing at shows 24-hour play fest and stage readings. Daphne, hello. 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 Thank you for having me. You are most welcome. And Roberta? Hello, hello. Ah, la, 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 la. Very so, exciting. <laughs> very exciting. So let me, first of all, let me um, ask both of you, who are you playing in the stage reading? What's your character about? And what drew you to this role? What draws you to the role? 
What do you like about it? Let's start with Daphne. So I play Lady. Okay. Um, let's give a quick introduction. Lady was born a rich, white, southern man. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, um, you know, in 1930s, there wasn't as much uh, in terms of transgender surgeries, and th- there weren't as many options available to uh, to those like me. Mm-hmm. Um However, she would have gone that route. That, mm-hmm. That's very much her identity. She's a feminine person. Yes. Um, she, the, the Duke joined and, and Tootsie really. Um, the whole place is an escape for her. And she, she's also a, a bookmark of safety for them, right? Because her grandmother holds such prominence in the town that there's no way anybody's gonna do any harm to the Duke joint itself. Because its presence there means that the grandmother doesn't have to see Lady, right? And that's a very important thing, this kind of shelving people away, out of sight, out of mind. It's actually a line in the show, right? Out of sight, out of mind, where we put people that make us uncomfortable, that take us to those um, to those uncomfortable spaces that they're not like us. You know, we see a lot of that these days, the xenophobia about Muslims and people of color and transgender and uh, the lesbian gay community. We want to shelve those people and get them far away. Um, and so there's a bit of a mutual connection between Lady and the Juke Joint in that it's a place of safety and really freedom for her. And that she also takes a little bit of pride in the fact that she's able to bring some safety and freedom to the juke joint. To the juke joint. Yeah. Because if anything, and it's part of the history of the South is that with juke joints, um, the white southerners would come and burn down the juke joints and destroy any property that black people sure. owned at that time. Even Negroes. now. Even now, absolutely. And in this particular time in history, this rich white woman, uh, grandson is a woman internally. And so she can't process that. So it's just like you, and knows where she goes, Lady goes and protects that. Yeah. Roberto, who are you inside of this story? Well, I'm Miss Lucy. I'm in my 80s, uh, and so I lived, when I was born, I was born into slavery. And that, seeing that pass is, was an, a miracle for me. Uh, the fact that there was a sort of different kind of slavery ever since I'm aware of, but I'm just grateful to have lived past the official, the legal slavery, as, I, as one of my lines is. And uh, I've had a career as a midwife. Uh, I decided as one of 13 children, this is also in the, in the play, uh, that I never wanted to have children of my own. I saw my own mother die giving birth to the 13th, so uh, that's a very was a very uh, dramatic moment for me again um and so i'm i've been a i've been a midwife i i love uh, bringing new babies into the world and so the destruction of my people in lynching is is something that's well it can't age me because i'm already in my 80s but it, it and does, i think actually in the play that you i think actually in the play you're uh, close to 100 close to 100 okay yes exactly and you so, also cook in the and I cook. yes i'm one of the cooks and i think i'm the better one but uh so she's getting pretty good there she's, i've trained her you know what i love about miss lucy's character too is that she um 
she's uh, she's had a very diverse set of experience, mm-hmm. you know, having lived through the slavery and everything else. But she's also an old sex pot, <laughs> right? I mean, she really is. She's such she's such a pistol, and that identity stays with her even now. She still has that kind of she's flirty, hot. strong. Yeah, she's and hot. women and women do remain very sensual and very yes, passionate throughout yeah. their lives if they don't listen to the commercialization exactly. of what a woman should be. So she definitely is very sensual in that regards. What do Daphne? What do you most uh, like about your character? Other than I know you talked about the fact that she sort of protects the jute joint, but you coming back to the Bay Area as an actress, what did you appreciate about this role? Well, I'll tell you. So I took a 14-year hiatus from acting. I'm mm-hmm. 41 now, right? So I, I haven't really been doing acting since my late 20s. Okay. Um, I, I went into a period of hibernation before I came out as transgender about two years ago. Um, and I had a real learning experience when I came out as transgender, right? I had a lot of privilege as a as a white male in, in this culture, right? Just like your character in the, in the play. Exactly. But there was an interesting thing that happened for me when I came out. Um, I didn't want to go from, you know, this one box of of definition, right? You know, as a straight white male into this box of femininity and these expectations that we place on women. For me, it was about authenticity. And I really wanted to know who I am and what I am in this world. And that meant that I had to make a lot of connections and I had to learn a lot of things that um, that I didn't even know I didn't know. And I met people of color and I I met people who were uh, you know, gender non-binary or gender non-conforming. And I thought, what in the world is that? Like, it was such a strange thing. And I began to realize that there were experiences outside mine. And, and they, there always will be. But the ability to connect with people of color and see where some of those bridges, some of those connections are, how we're marginalized in different ways but still marginalized. And I began to form these really close connections. And, you know, above everything else, what I love most about Lady is her connection to Tootsie. This, you know, there's even, there's moments where um, I I reach out to Tootsie and talk to her about how hard it must be for her to still, to have that empathy. I love that in a play where you actually say that, you know, you given her the moment to talk to you dressed in this beautiful dress that, <laughs> that you you come to again uh, for my kp listeners we're talking about a play that's gonna a script reading that's going to take place tomorrow night at exit theater in the tenderloin district and the address for that is 156 eddie street at eight o'clock and it's part of the olympian festival this is seventh year running and the play that's going to happen is the mother but it's called tussie's Jute joint uh taking the mythology of the character isis so a part of it is when you ask Tootsie about what it, no, you can't imagine, you say, what it must be like to be a Negro woman dressed in a beautiful dress and not, and, and share that part of it. That that sentence right there, right. I can't imagine. One of my, my dear friends, Monique, um, has been a real, uh, She's just helped me see so much. And, you you know, I come from this place of privilege and I think, oh, I can, oh, that must be terrible. But, you know, that would have been my, my reaction three years ago. Two years ago, I learned I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what it's like to be a person of color. 
certainly they can't imagine to be what it's like to be transgender either, right? We can understand what it's like to be marginalized, but we're marginalized in different Different ways. ways. We intersect at the place of, I can't understand, I can love you. I I love you. And you love This whole show is all about love and about the empathy, being able to say, I I understand that this is my experience, but but I want to know your experience. And Lady really reaches out to Tootsie to say, tell me about that. Tell me about what it's like, how you feel in those moments to be beautiful, to have this beautiful dress on and to be dressed to the nines and still be a Negro. Exactly. It is a play full of sensuality. Well, Berta. Yes. You had been absent from and been working as a patent lawyer, and now you're coming back. Yeah. What has been your experience of walking back into the world of acting? Well, it's something that I always loved doing, uh, and I had done, you know, done it in school, and then I stopped. I've uh, I've played the role of audience throughout my life, so I've got a lot of shows under my belt at this point uh, as the audience, and so I have kind of strong opinions about theater and why I love it and what works on it. Um, and that's one of the things I love about the script is this is great theater, the script. Uh, one of the things you haven't mentioned, Javelin, is how you've worked in music mm-hmm. to to enhance the emotions and to to let us, the actors as well as the audience really feel all the emotions that are going on. Um, and that's just, it, it's just theater at its best. Um, what I love about Miss Lucy is, well, number one, it's a part for an older woman. And there just aren't a lot of those around there. And it's a part for a strong older woman. She's not just, you know, the, the appendage for some man. And that's also wonderful. And uh, she's a very, a very strong person. And Daphne pointed out she's she's still sexy. And she also, she gets away with um, being disrespectful to the old white guy in the show, the bad guy. Uh, and I have a feeling, even though, of course, he's, he's in a bad state at that point, that she, she was able to do that. Partly it was a privilege of her being very elderly, and partly it was just the force of her personality that she could, you know, say outrageous things. And and I, because she did it, I think, with a fair amount of love toward the human race, it was okay. Uh, so that's that's one of the things I really like. And we talk about, you said you've seen a lot of plays, Roberta. Yeah. As an audience member, and you know what you like, you don't like, you've had a chance to sort of, um, you know, do your own connecting to the aesthetics. What I'd like to ask the both of you is people look at art as a, as a way to be part of the revolution. Mm-hmm. Some people push it even further to say that the only real revolution is through art because we it engages our emotions mm-hmm. and it intersects different parts of our humanity whether we like it or not like you said the music yeah. uh, I think you shared uh, earlier in, a, in an email to me that this music is haunting yes yes so in this way I would I like to hear you voice for the KPFA listeners why do you believe that art is an act of revolution particularly in the, since people have stopped going to art turning yeah. their backs maybe on their own humanity yes a, a, a profound statement there. Uh, I I don't understand it really. Why I think they're finding something that's a substitute for art in in things that are much of much shorter duration. 
you know, texts and YouTube videos and, and things like that, whereas the, the time commitment of going to see a show is, you know, it's hard to multitask while you're in the theater and, it, you know, you have, you've got to get there and you've got to stay there and then you've got to leave. I guess it's, um, I don't know, and I, I agree totally that it's it's where people are confronted with different things, some of the things they like and feel very happy about and comfortable with, but also sometimes things that they have to learn. I know lots of people learn history from movies. I mean, more people understand a whole bunch of historical events because they've seen a movie about it. The movie may may or may not be accurate, but at least they start to think about events that happened in the past and um, and just knowing about what what human beings have been through over the millennia. Daphne, I think that there's um, there's a developing cynicism in our in, in, throughout the world, really, um, and some of that comes from, in my opinion, kind of the remaking of of stories that have been told but not reimagined. Um, we lose some trust when we go to see something and expect it. We, we go to theater, and we, we even go to movies to expect to be on the fringe a little bit, of our fringe at least, if not the fringe of what's acceptable, right? And we want to be stretched a little bit. And we go there, we put, we put our faith and our trust in writers and in directors and producers and actors to take us on a journey um, you know, and and that requires a lot of compassion and care as well from all of the people involved in those art forms, right? To uh, to have some empathy and understand where your audience started, where you want to take them to that dangerous place, to that uncomfortable place, and then you have to you have to bring us back and let us get off the bus in our safe place again, and let us ponder that in our own time. That 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 fringe area, that stretching. I think is what we're missing now. And that's what I love about this script is that it's not a story we've seen before. I mean, we know the Greek tale, but this reimagining of it hasn't been done before. And you do a lot of work. You know, I heard um, Roberta talking about the music that you bring in. A lot of that does a really great job of sucking us into that story and taking us on that journey throughout this 1930s juke joint. And yes. you feel the love and, and there's some grief in there too. You have some amazing duets between, uh, you talked about it between a singer and grief. And I think about it in terms of of love and grief and and how those two things um, battle it out in our hearts and our minds and in our souls and you do a really great job everybody in the show does a really great job of being very compassionate with this story and having it i mean it's a it's a very dangerous place that we go to here it's very um you know, if if there was a, if somebody wrote this and posted it on Facebook, it would start off with the words "trigger warning," right? Because there's some there's some triggering stuff in some here. Some triggering stuff, and everyone has done such a great job. Everyone has been so committed from the first day, and one of the reasons, like one of the the stories um, 
what are the songs, what are my intentions were. My intentions were that I wanted to show, because the Jew joint is known for his blues and his food and all the wonderfulness and blues, you know, migrated from West Africa, came into the plantations and transformed. Well, and to see Jew joint where this song comes in, something happens. We won't give away what happens. But I wanted to do a duet between grief and music and to have that grief that we have in the blues in this genre and then turn it into language into music into songs so that we can have an understanding of where the blues come from well it came from the fields of someone bent down in the soil their back is broke they're trying to give birth and still being told to keep on moving keep on moving they're told to do this they can't they can't go to the bathroom they can't all of these things they can't do and they're broken down having a child removed from the arms and being sold and pulled away and so what happens you began to make sound and that sound began to create music for you to release yourself therapeutically which that language wasn't even alive through time. But I wanted to have the vocalist and the grieving person, without giving that story away, to be able to do a, a duet with crying and music. And it worked out really. I watched your face during a rehearsal last night, and I was, I was, after writing the music, it's one thing to be a writer, but it's another thing to see the, lit- the, the, the world of story come alive. But I never want music to ever take away from the characters because I need people to look at people, see them, hear them without being too distracted by music because that's so easy in our culture to sort of hear it, <sighs> pop it, do it. Well, you do a great job of introducing it in a way that um, it becomes a visual and an auditory representation of that emotional reconciliation, right? How do we reconcile? Your grief can't exist without great love, right? Yes. And you have to reconcile those two things. How do I grieve for for this person or this event uh, and still have great love for the people involved in that? Um, and, and talking about the pain of being in a field, being kind of pushed down and held down and still having kind of a freedom and a love of your family and engagement in your community and reconciling those two really hard places to be. And music gives us that kind of representation of that. It gave the voice of of so many African-Americans. You're listening to Javelin Richards and Javelin's Bistro cover to cover open book and in the studio with me is Daphne uh, and on the radio is Roberta and we're talking about the Harvest of fest of the Harvest of Mysteries is happening at the Exit Theater and has been going on since October fifth. You can go to www.foolympians.com. Uh, this show that we're talking about now, Tussie's Jute Joint, which is based on their character Asset, uh, is happening tomorrow night at eight o'clock. It's ten dollar cash at the door. You can get online at Brown Papers Tickets. So here we go back into the story. And and, even, and really, this is person. This is a personal question for the both of you. I want you to take a second and think about what character, what kind of character, if you've either seen in the past or you'd want to see created, that would speak to your soul, that you would most think could talk about who you are, your what your experience has been in the world, what kind of character? Ooh, that's a hard one. It is a hard one. Um, because in, in this one that probably takes a longer show, like we had an hour show just to play around with that question. But have you ever, so let's, let's just change the question a little bit. Have you ever seen a character on stage that you said, I like that character? That character is so much like me. 
I've seen yeah, I'm, I'm still stuck on the first one, actually, and I'm thinking, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently um, is in, is invisibility. Um, there was Invisibility? Yeah, there was this story recently of a, of a young black woman who's a doctor who was kind of overlooked and told, oh, don't worry about it when she, when there was a, an emergency on the plane, and she said, I'm a doctor, and of course, she didn't look the part, so that was the end of her, um, and it, it's you know i've read about it and and i thought there's there's lots we it, we make people invisible so much um you know i'm a short i'm a little old lady and uh and so that's a but i often find myself in situations where i think i'm i'm invisible you know i once said to someone i guess i'm wearing my invisibility cloak because you know <laughs> so i i kind of you know and that's not something obviously the invisible people don't get to be the the stars of stories on TV and movies, but maybe we're moving toward that. And yes, I'm we're going to we're going to fix that. And as a writer and director <laughs> and independent filmmaker, and someone who doesn't look at doors or windows closed, we're going to fix that. <laughs> Let the Bay Area rise up to what it's supposed to be. Right. All right, Daphne. You know, for me, I've um, I've always felt very much like an outsider. There are a lot of people who. Um, connect to me. I'm definitely very connected to people and I like to almost feel kind of a therapist position with mm -hmm. people. I think there's a safety of kind of feeling like it's a conversation with somebody who is a little bit outside. Mm -hmm. um, my my ex used to always say to me that um, I was like an alien or like a robot, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I know how she meant that actually, you know, there are ele elements of my personality and of my existence that aren't common. You know, even in the transgender community, we tend to see people swing the pendulum from super masculine to super feminine, um, you know, kind of trying to make sense of those two identities out there in the world. Um, for me, I think th there's a number of characters and I tend to play kind of um, either characters who have a secret, obviously, um, or characters who, who are on the outside looking in, um, sometimes who make that transition to being on the inside and reconciling that for themselves. But I always thought of a, um, for me, a fascinating story would be um, the Frankenstein's monster kind of, if, if the story took a different path and he or she had been created and kind of set out into the world, but didn't realize how she had come into being or how he had come into being. Um, and then kind of having an understanding that, that you were made, but maybe you were made wrong, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that that's mm -hmm. something that definitely resonates with me as, as somebody who's transgender, um, you know, kind of coming to terms with the fact that I've been made, but not all of the right parts were used in my construction, right? And you think about it from a Frankenstein's monster right. perspective, yeah. he would have a very specific person to, to blame or to have a very deep conversation with about uh, the irresponsibility that, right. that, you know, he or she might feel in that position of, you know, you just threw these parts together. You didn't think about how that would affect my identity or my being or my my space in this world. Um, I thought that would be an interesting story, you know, just he's, he or she's a lawyer somewhere and then kind of discovers stitches, you know. <laughs> oh, gee, what's, what's this about? <laughs> what's this about? <laughs> so, Roberta, yeah. as you've been reading the script and taking it on, and really about taking on a character, mm -hmm. is about finding the emotional landscape inside of you. 
and to get to that space to best represent the character on stage. So here's Miss Lucy, 100 some years old. She was born into slavery. She lived through emancipation, but also she's seeing this new form of, of a segregation. She's living in segregation, a new form of um, slavery is being created by the white Southerners. What was difficult for you to find emotionally to connect to or to disconnect to or to ponder in our lives? We have about two and a half minutes to come up with with responses. So if you can give us a quick, short, what is biscuit, quick answer? Well, I think think what I was talking about is that she says these outrageous things to, you know, this this white southern man of, of prestige and... I, you know, personally, I'm a timid person, so to to be, you know, to have that kind of bravery and, and moral courage to just say what's true to someone like that, speaking truth to power. I want to thank you, Roberta. We came into the last 10 seconds, and Daphne, come to, out tomorrow. You can see the both of them on stage at the Exit Theater at 8 o'clock. Go ahead on www.sfolympians.com and check it out. Get your tickets, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Author, progressive minister, and radical activist Chris Hedges is coming to Berkeley with his challenging new book, Unspeakable, on the most forbidden topics in America. October 19th, a Wednesday, Hedges will be at King Middle School, 1781 Rose Street in North Berkeley, 7.30 p.m. With him, yes indeed, will be David Talbot, activist author of The Devil's Chessboard. Sabrina Jacobs will host this KPFA benefit. There's free parking and wheelchair access, advanced tickets at brownpapertickets.com, and our cherished indie bookshops. Find full information on the KPFA website for these two exceptionally engaged and discerning scribes here October 19th. It is now 4 o'clock here at KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa 